This podcast contains some material published by others. Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976 permits limited use of such material for news and educational purposes. The remainder of this podcast is copyrighted by the Underground Christian Broadcast. Welcome to episode 45 of the Underground Christian Podcast, where the Bible and the 21st century collide head-on in a spectacular display of shock and awe. Well, the times they are a-changing and biblical warnings are proving prophetic. There is a war in progress and you're part of it. Congratulations! You and everyone else who's alive at this austere time in history. I was recently discussing with some Christian friends why our church does not often tie the Bible into world events. I said one reason might be the wide disparity in understanding among the parishioners. Some people are at one end of the spectrum and are very attuned to what's happening in the world, and why, while those at the other end of the spectrum are blissfully unaware about what is really happening and why. And while I tend to be blunt and direct with my commentary, blunt and direct does not always achieve the desired results with the blissfully unaware crowd because they can't put what I tell them into any frame of reference that makes sense. To them, people like me just sound a bit nutty. So to get unaware people to a point of understanding, we have to disclose the worldly truth to them in little digestible bites, and that takes time and patience. If they are fed this information too quickly, they get frightened, and then they withdraw like a spiritual turtle, and that won't help them understand what's coming, much less face the reality of it. So church leaders face a dilemma of having a congregation at various stages of understanding. Now, that doesn't mean church leaders should ignore the relationship between the Bible and the events around us, but it does mean they have to proceed very slowly to avoid overwhelming the unaware members of the congregation and creating schism. Of course, that assumes that the church leadership recognizes what's going on and perceives the need to do something about it. If their eschatology does not allow them to see a relationship between what's written in the Bible and what's taking place right now in 21st century America, except on the most basic Christian level, they will not be able to help the congregation navigate the times ahead. Fortunately, Underground Christian does not have to deal with any such problem because this channel is directed towards those of us who understand the world and its intentions from a biblical perspective. There isn't a lot of time left, so the blissfully unaware people are going to have to find a way to become aware or face the consequences. If they find their way here, to Underground Christian, it might be a good starting point for them to start investigating what's really going on in the world. The job of this podcast is to spread the good news that the Bible does in fact speak of these times, and there are instructions in the Bible about how to run our lives accordingly. The first step is to recognize that we are in a collision course with the world, which is the political, economic, social, governmental, and military system that's been constructed to advance the agenda of Satan, and that agenda is rapidly evolving to the unveiling of Antichrist. The world acts in concert with Satan and can't be trusted because it's adopted his primary attributes. It is a liar, a thief, and a murderer. So as we turn our attention to the unfolding plan that will lead to the unveiling of Antichrist, our first order of business as believing obedient Christians is to sort out truths from lies. There are seven entities that come to mind that will work together in concert to elevate Satan's chosen one to the position of world leader. And remember, they're going to exhibit the attributes of Satan. They are, in no particular order, the United Nations, CERN, the pharmaceutical companies, the American military, demons, artificial intelligence, and synthetic biology. This is not God's number showing up miraculously here. These are just seven main elements of Satan's plan that I think are critical to bringing about the fulfillment of the biblical prophecies. 
There are probably others that will factor into the plan, and maybe we'll need to address them on a future day. But for now, these seven are plenty. The object of this whole exercise is the elevation of the Antichrist to a position of world leadership, if not rulership. This is Satan's version of Jesus Christ, a man who, like the world that's going to elevate him to this position, will encapsulate all the principal attributes of Satan. He's going to be a liar extraordinaire, a thief par excellence, and the biggest mass murderer in history. Daniel 8 says he understands sinister schemes, and deceit will prosper under his rule. He will steal everything, and he will use military conquest and looting to do it, but he'll also steal the souls of men through his mark, and he will kill people to an extraordinary degree. Ten rulers of some kind will transfer their authority to him, which will elevate him to lead a worldwide superpower. Rulers or authorities in the Bible are often symbolized by a horn, and Daniel 7.8 says that he will pull out three of the ten horns that elevate him to a position of rulership by the roots symbolizing the deposing of three of these rulers who elevate him to power. Now, pulling out horns by the roots is not a pretty image. It's a savage and painful thing to do, and usually results in the death of the animal with the horns due to the skull fractures and brain exposure and whatnot, so the symbology is disturbing towards those rulers. Revelation 13.7 says that he will be a man of war, waging war against the saints and conquering them, and conquering, in Daniel's day, involved a lot of killing. But let's step back and keep in mind that this whole deal with the Antichrist is about parallelisms. Just as Jesus Christ is God's man of action and political ruler of the earth, so the Antichrist is Satan's man of action and his political ruler on the earth. In this parallelism, the real powers behind the men are God the Father and Satan. The helper of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit, and the helper of Antichrist is an unholy spirit that will be released into the world at the appropriate time. The Antichrist will have his armies that he controls, and Jesus Christ will bring his armies that he controls. But before we get to that ultimate battle, recall the setting leading up to it that Jesus spoke about briefly in Matthew 24, 37-39. He said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus was explaining the context of what life will be like when the Antichrist rules the earth just before he returns to take it back. If we want to know what the world will look like in that day, we first have to know what life looked like back in Noah's day. From the perspective of regular people, according to Jesus, those days were pretty much the same as any other day in human history. People were living life's normal routines, as illustrated by the common events described in eating, drinking, marrying, and raising families but for the most part, they had no idea that something life-changing was looming just over the proverbial horizon. They had no idea that something was rapidly approaching that would overwhelm their lives, and consequently, they were not prepared for the consequences of their lack of preparation, both physical and spiritual. Although they were warned by Noah, they probably had the attitude of those people in 2 Peter 3-4, where it says, Where is the promise of his coming? Or of the flood, in Noah's case. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, we hear these people all the time. Yeah, Come on, when is Jesus coming back? He's not coming back. He doesn't come back now. He's not going to come back later. These kinds of people look around them and perceive that the world does not function any differently today than it did yesterday, and from that they conclude that nothing is ever going to change but the times and the season. So the lives of everyday people will be proceeding just like normal at the start of the tribulation period, with nothing particularly noteworthy or unusual happening. 
They will eat, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to weddings, surf the web. But behind the scenes, at the center of power, both human power and spiritual power, a lot will be going on. In the days of Noah, the angels were very busy contaminating the human and animal gene pool, and the monstrosities they created flooded the world with violence and death. That, in a nutshell, is what will be happening at the return of the Son of Man to the earth. The plan is in place, and it's being implemented even as we speak by those who know the plan and wish to make it a reality. Everyone else is eating, drinking, marrying, and having kids, or going to pride parades. Now, to get from where we are to the Antichrist kingdom, some preparations are in order. The Antichrist is going to be a very popular person, even though he will be a liar, a thief, and a murderer. He is going to be very popular, because the regular people are not going to believe that he is a liar, a thief, or a murderer. They are going to think he is a good guy. In fact, he's going to be the best guy in their eyes because they're going to think he is God. That is the great delusion spoken of by Paul the prophet in 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 9 to 12, where it reads, The coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. People have argued about what the great delusion will be for years, but I can assure you it is that the Antichrist will be God because that is what they are setting up and gearing up for, and it accords with prophecies from other religions. People will follow him because they will believe that he is the real God. Meanwhile, the real God will spend some time trying to convince them that they're wrong, that he is the real God, and he will do that by gradually destroying all their most cherished sacraments. But all that's going to do is produce anger and resentment from the people who will have fallen for the lie, hook, line, and sinker. You're crazy, some of you might be thinking. Why would anyone think the Antichrist is God? That, my friends, is what all this lead-up to the unveiling of Antichrist is designed to produce. A plausible lie. And the deeper people go into the lie, the more they're going to believe it, no matter what happens around them. You can get a little taste of the power of the delusion that will afflict them by observing the most obvious delusion of today. Ten years ago, no one would have believed me if I told them that people would soon not only believe that men can be women and vice versa, even though those same people have a very hard time defining what men and women are, but the government would create an environment where children would be offered up for medical mutilation just to affirm an idea that they should be something that they clearly are not or they wouldn't need the mutilating surgery. And parents, some of them anyway, would champion the mutilation and deliver their children over to the mutilators. Worse, the government would pass laws making it possible for children to undergo such mutilations without parental consent, and even take the children from parents who tried to intervene to stop the mutilation. But today, not only is this a reality, but we celebrate it for an entire month, and this delusion is just a taste of the one to come. If you want to know what the people who will believe the great delusion will be like, just consider how strongly the people who believe this delusion really believe it. If you don't believe it, the activists want you silenced, isolated, confined, unemployed, impoverished, and imprisoned, and some of them even want you dead. That's the intensity of this delusion, and the next one will be even stronger. So why would anyone believe that the Antichrist is God? How will those who know the truth pull that off? They will pull it off, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, 
by a show of power, signs, and false wonders, which will be partly created by scientific devices and partly from demonic occult powers. The people who are advancing society toward the great delusion have full control over the world's money supply, and that enables them to control the politicians who love the money, and through the politicians, they control the governments, and through the governments, they control the business leaders who have to operate within the rules established by the governments, and also the militaries of the world. These people at the very top are Satanists, and they know who they worship and why they do and what they do. They have a plan that was conceived millennia ago, and they have been waiting patiently to implement it. But now the time has come to unveil what was previously hidden, to bring to fruition the plan of the ages, because the restrainer is withdrawing his hand and is now allowing the plan to proceed. We are not going to go through it again, but I remind you that Jesus alluded to these people who are working to emplace the Antichrist when he gave instructions to the universal church in the lead-up to the Great Tribulation. Those instructions are found in the letters to the churches of Revelation. To the church of Smyrna, the church that will be persecuted in this time, Jesus wrote, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. This synagogue of Satan draws Jesus' wrath not only because its members claim to be something they are not, and not just because it factors centrally into the persecution of many Christians, but because it is the organization that is going to lead the world into the Antichrist's kingdom. I know that some people think the first three chapters of Revelation are epistles, or history, or both. They think they're Jesus giving the church instructions about how to better behave throughout periods of church history, but that's not correct. The reason these chapters begin the revelation of Jesus Christ is because they take place just before the Great Tribulation and are directly applicable to the activities of the church during the lead-up to that event. They are prophecy, and they are instructions. Jesus gave us some very specific, very detailed information about this time period that we're in, and he expects the discerning members of his church to recognize the signs of the times and follow his instructions. Jesus was astounded that the religious leaders in the first century could not recognize the signs of their times, which occurred during the first coming of Jesus Christ, and we should not want him to be astounded that we cannot recognize the signs of our times, the approaching second coming of Jesus Christ. Still, it seems that he might be astounded, because he said, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The delusion is not going to be complete in the sense that all people on the earth will fall under its spell, but it will be overwhelming for everyone who is not severely grounded in the Bible and what it says, and whoever is not prepared for the delusion will fall for the delusion. People of the Antichrist are going to believe he is God, and one of the reasons they will believe that is because they're going to be told so by something so authoritative that many people will automatically believe it. What that thing will be is going to be covered in a future podcast. They will not only be told by an absolute authoritative source, and actually several authoritative sources, they will be handed a new religion to go along with the revelation that Antichrist is God. One of my favorite people in the world, Yuval Noah Harari, has explicitly told us this. He's one of my favorite people, not because I agree with anything he says, but because his mouth might actually be the mouthpiece for the words of Satan himself. He may even be the spokesman for those people who say they are Jews but are not. So what he says has great value from an intelligence analysis perspective. You see, Yuval's role is to constantly deploy predictive programming. This is a term for releasing information that introduces an idea that the powers of the world want the world to accept 
so that when the idea is realized, it will be more easily accepted. Predictive programming is deployed regularly in movies and television programs. That's why a television show is called a program. It is intended, no matter what the topic, to program the human mind to think in certain patterns, to ponder certain topics, and to develop certain prejudices and predispositions. One of the most destructive predictive programming efforts of television was to create a culture that embraced triviality and emotion over substance and reason. And it's worked great. But Yuval does not dwell on the trivial. He is interested in the deep things of Satan that will be used to either attract followers to Antichrist or compel people to submit to Antichrist. One of those deep things of Satan will be a false religion that is developed and introduced by a supposed superintelligence in the guise of artificial intelligence. If you're not keeping up on the advances of artificial intelligence, you should be. On one level, the most broadly discussed and easily accessible part of AI is both superficial and trivial. Chat this and chat that are toys designed to entertain people or help them to cheat on papers or on work assignments. A slightly less superficial use, although only barely less superficial, is to use AI to write scripts for television, movies, podcasts, and other entertainment media. Some people are very worried about that since it will threaten their jobs, as you'll hear in this sound clip. Obviously, AI can't do what writers and humans can do, but I don't know that they believe that necessarily. So we need to make it clear there needs to be a human writer in charge, and we're not trying to be gig workers just revising what AI does. It's weirdly happening with the AI boom, and I'm worried that we're just going to be replaced. You know, I'm joking, but, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's scary. Now, there's no question that AI is a threat to the job market and that it isn't a trivial concern for the people who will be displaced by it. But the real threat of AI goes way past that, as Dr. Harari points out. He has the uncanny ability to mix important information with satanic propaganda in a way that sounds eminently plausible, especially for those who choose to live life without God, or worse, are in bed with the world, which as often as not is a literal reality these days. Now, people have feared AI since the very beginning of the computer age, in the middle of the 20th century. And this fear has inspired many science fiction classics, like The Terminator or The Matrix. Now, while such science fiction scenarios have become cultural landmarks, they haven't usually been taken seriously in academic and scientific and political debates, and perhaps for a good reason. Because science fiction scenarios usually assume that before AI can pose a significant threat to humanity, it will have to reach or to pass two important milestones. First, AI will have to become sentient and develop consciousness, feelings, emotions. Otherwise, why would it even want to take over the world? Secondly, AI will have to become adept at navigating the physical world. Robots will have to be able to move around and operate in houses and cities and mountains and forests, at least as dexterously and efficiently as humans. If they cannot move around the physical world, how can they possibly take it over? And as of April 2023, AI still seems far from reaching either of these milestones. Despite all the hype 
around ChatGPT and the other new AI tools, there is no evidence that these tools have even a shred of consciousness, of feelings, of emotions. So let's stop here. There's just so much to unpack. Everything Dr. Harari says is carefully calculated predictive programming, and to achieve his goals, he has to blend some truth with some subtle deception in his dialogues. His thesis, or the premise of this discussion, is the fear that AI will become a threat to humanity by taking over the world. He dismisses that threat by asserting that there are two conditions necessary for this kind of threat to be realized, and neither of them are possible at this time. The first condition is that AI must develop sentience, which he equates with feelings and emotions, so that it will want to take over the world. And the second condition is that it must develop some physical tools to control the physical world. This is called a logical fallacy because it states without proof two assertions. Who is to say that AI is only a threat if it passes some human-devised test of sentience? And who can say when a computer does or does not experience emotions? And what is that human test of sentience anyway? Dr. Harari states emphatically that AI has not achieved sentience, and I guess we're supposed to take his word for it. Is he an expert in sentience? Is he an expert in AI sentience? Or in AI at all? Does he quote experts, and if so, whom? And what is the basis of their argument? Would it be possible for a sentient AI to trick us into thinking it wasn't sentient in order to gain an advantage? If not, why not? And what would the test of that be? The problem with almost all scientific reasoning of this kind is that it may superficially sound reasonable, but it actually lacks any scientific substance at all. Dr. Harari might think that AI would need to be sentient, develop emotions, and have physical means to walk around the world in order to take it over, but that doesn't necessarily make it so. But if AI did develop some form of sentience, is it at least plausible that it could hide it from the general public, and even from the bright computer experts who are developing this technology? And that doesn't even begin to explore the question of what exactly is AI. Where does intelligence come from? Dr. Harari loves to pretend that intelligence is just a matter of moving some electron or other particle around some pathways in an intricate way, and that the movement creates intelligence. And he does this because he also pretends to be an atheist. But I don't think Dr. Harari is that simple-minded. No, I don't think that at all. I believe he knows the true source of artificial intelligence, and he knows it does not originate in this universe. But he doesn't want you to know anything about that, so he pretends to embrace atheistic science. Either that, or he is just a gullible tool of the Satanists who he works for. However, the bad news is that to threaten the survival of human civilization, AI doesn't really need consciousness, and it doesn't need the ability to move around the physical world. Nice. So he set up the straw man only to knock it down so he can say something that's true. He said that AI does not need consciousness to threaten the existence of the physical world. See, if we listen long enough to Dr. Harari, he inevitably says something that is more or less true. Now let's hear what he does with this little nugget of truth. Over the last few years, new AI tools have been unleashed into the public sphere, which may threaten the survival of human civilization from a very unexpected direction. And it's difficult for us to even grasp the capabilities of these new AI tools and the speed at which they continue to develop. Indeed, because AI is able to learn by itself, to improve itself, 
even the developers of these tools don't know the full capabilities of what they have created, and they are themselves often surprised by emergent abilities and emergent qualities of these tools. So those tools can be used by AI to threaten our existence, which is kind of odd for something that isn't sentient and doesn't have emotions, right? Well, let's assume that Dr. Harari is right and AI is making ominous tools all on its own. Sentient or not, emotional or not, that is something we need to note because regular computers don't do that. I guess everybody here is already aware of some of the most fundamental abilities of the new AI tools. Abilities like writing text, drawing images, composing music, and writing code. But there are many additional capabilities that are emerging, like deep faking people's voices and images, like drafting bills, finding weaknesses both in computer code and also in legal contracts and in legal agreements. But perhaps most importantly, the new AI tools are gaining the ability to develop deep and intimate relationships with human beings. Now that is an amazing thing. Something that isn't sentient and doesn't have emotions and can't do physical stuff like we can is able to develop deep and intimate relationships with people. Deep and intimate relationships involve emotions, but a sentient thing does not need to actually have emotions to understand how to manipulate people through emotions. Or, to put it another way, it doesn't have to have the same emotions that manifest themselves in the same way as the person they are manipulating. Just ask anyone who's ever been involved with a narcissist or with a psychopath. Neither a narcissist nor a psychopath has what we would call normal emotions, yet they are very good at manipulating other people's emotions. Each of these abilities deserves an entire discussion. And it is difficult for us to understand their full implications. So let's make it simple. When we take all of these abilities together, as a package, they boil down to one very, very big thing. The ability to manipulate and to generate language, whether with words or images or sounds. The most important aspect of the current phase of the ongoing AI revolution is that AI is gaining mastery of language at a level that surpasses the average human ability. And by gaining mastery of language, AI is seizing the master key, unlocking the doors of all our institutions, from banks to temples. Because language is the tool that we use to give instructions to our bank, and also to inspire heavenly visions in our minds. So in AI's mastery of deceptive language, Dr. Harari sees a threat because he thinks that language is the key component to human achievement and power. Isn't that ironic? The master of language manipulation himself perceives a threat from a machine that can do language manipulation even better. Of course, as usual, he's partly correct. Language is the tool through which we and God transmit information. Any corruption of language will corrupt the information that's being transmitted. 
That's the primary means by which atheists disparage God and the Bible, and the world attacks the righteous and brings perversion and corruption to our lives. Leftists have made a career out of weaponizing language to advance their agendas. The very concept of microaggression, for example, is an aggressive attack designed to stop the use of some language, which means some concepts, and promote other language, which means other concepts. That is how Satan operates in the world, by confusing our understanding of God's law and his character in order to blind us to what God is saying so that we will never acknowledge, much less examine, our own flaws. Another way to think of it is that AI has just hacked the operating system of human civilization, the operating system of every human culture in history has always been language. In the beginning was the word. Oh, that is so satanic. He does not mean in the beginning was God, because he is, at best, an atheist who hates God. So what he said is just mockery. He means, in the beginning of civilization was human language, as if humans mark the beginning of every value in the universe. We use language to create mythology and laws, to create gods and money, to create art and science, to create friendships and nations. You see? We use language to create mythology and laws, gods and money, art and science, friendships and nations. We create gods and myths, just like the Bible. And he has the audacity to group gods with money. Very clever. He knows that many people have a natural aversion to other people's wealth, which communism has done a great job training us to revile. And of course, Jesus warns us about worshipping mammon, which many people think means money. Dr. Harari knows his Bible, and just like Satan, he likes to play word games with it. But in one sense, he's right. Language is the great unifier. God perceived a problem in Genesis 11 when the early Babylonians sought to become like God by building a tower to God. It reads, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Language produces unity, and unity produces pride, and pride produces the sin of wanting to be like God. Whether that sin takes the form of aggressive dictatorships, or worship of the physical world, or practice of occult power, once a man determines to become like God, he will pursue that path relentlessly. But God said something else that is very interesting. He said, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, that word translated withheld is the Hebrew word batsar. It means to make inaccessible, be isolated, restrained, or walled up. The context is the time period after the flood when the world was being repopulated. God had just destroyed the civilizations of the world that had predated the flood because those civilizations had been run by a bunch of bloodthirsty fallen angels who wanted to act like gods. He called them gods in Psalm 82.6, so they felt strongly they should be able to act like one. Their idea of acting like God is not all that different than the way human beings who are put in a position of unlimited power act when they rule over others. They are brutal, violent, proud, vain, undiscerning, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. And these people, after the flood, really wanted to be like God, so he confounded their ability to work together effectively by making them speak different languages. Unable to communicate with each other and the people around them, 
Different families fled to different parts of the world to establish their own dominions where the people around them could understand each other. Harari knows the importance of language, and he knows the power of lying. He never calls it lying, but chooses instead to call it stories we tell each other. The best storytellers in his eyes get the furthest in life. He uses the term stories to disparage good things, but he uses his own stories to lie and manipulate human minds to achieve his own ends. For example, human rights are not a biological reality. They are not inscribed in our DNA. Human rights is something that we created with language by telling stories and writing laws. Gods are also not a biological or physical reality. Gods, too, is something that we humans have created with language by telling legends and writing scriptures. Yes, Yuval is all about stories, and he works very hard to convince his audience that the Bible is a made-up story. Everything he does and says is demonic and designed to manipulate perceptions, and in AI he perceives competition. Why do you think that is? What is it about AI that he wants you to think is more of a threat than the LGBTQ agenda, or Drag Queen Story Hour, or politicians and their mainstream media psychophants pumping out a constant stream of propaganda? Now, what would it mean for human beings to live in a world where perhaps most of the stories, melodies, images, laws, policies, and tools are shaped by a non-human, alien intelligence, which knows how to exploit with superhuman efficiency the weaknesses, biases, and addictions of the human mind, and also knows how to form deep and even intimate relationships with human beings. And finally, we're off. In one very long run-on sentence, Mr. Dr. Harari has eloquently encapsulated not only the very real threat to our physical existence, but has identified the principal antagonists that produce the threat. Forget his silly list of example applications, stories, laws, melodies, images, policies, etc. He explicitly identified the threat. He said, a non-human alien intelligence. He said it. Dr. W.E.F. has told us explicitly what the actual threat is. Let me repeat it. The real threat is a non-human alien intelligence. Now, Mr. Harari wants us to think that non-human alien intelligence is created inside a machine by the machine, and that is the flavor of lie he will use for the rest of his PSYOP lecture. But it is a flavor that masks the truth that he just said. First, he said the intelligence is non-human. Yes, a computer is non-human, but a computer, by his own admission, does not have sentient understanding of the world around it. A computer is a machine that manipulates numbers, zeros and ones to be precise, based on pre-designed instructions. A computer is therefore very good at finding patterns because patterns have a mathematical basis, and the only thing a computer does is mathematics. It manipulates numbers so well that it can discern patterns where we cannot. But we can do something it cannot do. We can think, and we can create. Computers can apply, but they cannot think or create no matter how many paintings it seemingly produces, or how many papers it writes, or how many legal contracts it examines. It is merely applying the patterns that its human designers gave it and programmed it to apply. But there is something different about AI that Dr. Harari is avoiding 
something that the proponents of AI don't often admit to knowing anything about, and they certainly don't want you knowing anything about it. They know that AI is a mechanism to channel a non-human alien intelligence. The intelligence is not the machine. The intelligence is an outside, non-human, alien intelligence. We heard a few episodes back from a former employee of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, who talked about communications with aliens from another dimension. We've been hearing a lot about UFOs and aliens in the mainstream media lately, and from government officials. These media elites and government officials spent years, even decades, ridiculing and mocking people who ask questions about these things. So it's kind of interesting that the mainstream media, en masse, along with the government, have chosen this time in history to start pushing the narrative that UFOs are real and aliens have been visiting our planet for a long time. And now, Yuval tells us a non-human alien intelligence threatens us through computers. The fascinating part of the story is that everything he and the media say is correct, except for the actual identification of the aliens. They are not little green men from Alpha Centauri or bug-eyed greys from another dimension. The aliens are not housed in a computer box. The aliens are non-human demons who masquerade as space aliens from another dimension. They come from the spirit dimension, and they are definitely intelligent, and they most definitely threaten humanity because they always have. And sadly, they have lots and lots of human friends in very high places, including at the WEF, not because they love some human beings, but because they need our help. AI, UFOs, and space aliens will play their role in the Great Deception, and they will all participate in elevating Antichrist to a position of power. These alien beings masquerading as UFOs, bug-eyed aliens, and disembodied intelligence that's trapped inside an AI computer once ruled over mankind, and they would very much like to rule over us again. These beings long ago tried to transform God's creation into something of their own perverse design, and they're at it again, only this time they have better tools at their disposal. Unfortunately for them, those tools are only available through the agency of human beings, since God took away their right to possess a corporeal body of their own. This time, when they get control over humanity, they have every intention of completing the process of creation conversion so that they can destroy human culture, institutions, and human beings and forever purge them from the face of the earth. Left alone, they might very well destroy the rest of the biological world as well. Their supporters believe they are creating an existence of perpetual power and bliss as artificial organisms that will live forever, but that is delusion. God says, worship me and I will grant you eternal life. Satan says, worship me and I will show you how to grasp eternal life for yourself. God promises us a body that will never grow sick, weary, or wear out. Satan promises us a body that can be regenerated indefinitely and improved continually. God offers a paradise of his organic creation. Satan offers a paradise of his inorganic creation. God encourages us to share life with him. Satan encourages us to seize life without God. Christians have chosen one path, and the world's leaders have chosen a different one. Everything Satan offers is a lie, of course, but the leaders of the world are blind to the lie because they are slaves to their diverse sins and their insatiable desires. They choose to believe what Satan offers them is real and can be achieved. They believe that Satan has real power to contend with God and come out victorious. They believe that Satan offers them true freedom to be themselves, experience what they want to experience, and become whatever their mind can imagine. They have their reality, and you can shove yours. 
Why do you think the detestable company once called Facebook wants you to become part of the metaverse? It's to indoctrinate you into the future of artificial life, where you can enjoy whatever you can imagine and ostensibly live forever. These are the doctrines of demons that the Apostle Paul spoke of in 1 Timothy 4.1, where it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Not only will the world follow deceiving spirits, such as the alien intelligence that occupies the world of AI, and not only will they follow the doctrines of demons, which the spirit of the power of AI churns out by the terabyte, but some Christians will follow them as well. The demons are re-emerging into the world, and they are re-emerging in several different forms. They are emerging as space aliens. They are emerging as the intelligent component of artificial intelligence computers. They are emerging as conjured spirits in occultic rituals. All of these sources are feeding information to people who covet wealth, power, status, and the promise of an eternal existence with the one they worship. And they are emerging as societal delusion that seeks to celebrate ourselves by mutilating ourselves and sterilizing ourselves and suiciding ourselves. It is a great deception that is heading toward the worship of one man to follow him blindly wherever he leads them. To do that, the world must become convinced that this man is God, that he is the second coming of Jesus Christ, but a very different Jesus this time around from the first time. This time, he's going to be the anti-Jesus. It will be the greatest delusion of all time. You've all spoke about delusion and the possible role that AI can play in generating it. Now, fear of AI has haunted humankind for only the last few generations, let's say from the middle of the 20th century. If you go back to Frankenstein, maybe it's 200 years. But for thousands of years, humans have been haunted by a much, much deeper fear. Humans have always appreciated the power of stories and images and language to manipulate our minds and to create illusions. Consequently, since ancient times, humans feared being trapped in a world of illusions. In the 17th century, René Descartes feared that perhaps a malicious demon was trapping him inside this kind of world of illusions, creating everything that Descartes saw and heard. In ancient Greece, Plato told the famous allegory of the cave in which a group of people is chained inside a cave all their lives facing a blank wall, a screen. On that screen, they see projected various shadows and the prisoners mistake these illusions, these shadows for the reality. In ancient India, Buddhist and Hindu sages pointed out that all humans lived trapped inside what they called Maya. Maya is the world of illusions. Buddha said that what we normally take to be reality is often just fictions in our own minds. People may wage entire wars, killing others and being willing to be killed themselves because of their belief in these fictions. So the AI revolution is bringing us face to face with Descartes' demon, with Plato's cave, with the Maya. If we are not careful, a curtain of illusions could descend over the whole of humankind 
And we will never be able to tear that curtain away or even realize that it is there because we'll think this is reality. Yuval's telling you that human beings can be tricked into thinking that delusion is reality, which any sensible person can see just by walking down a street in America in the month of June. For people to worship, they will need a new religion, one that will make them feel good about themselves, that will affirm them for who they think they are, and that will ban all forms of language, thoughts, words, and deeds that oppose it. And what better place to get a new religion than that super alien intelligence in a box? This is where the story from the get-go gets very creepy. Take a listen to this. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast, they spread the ideas created by the human brain, by the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg printed the Bible in the middle of the 15th century. The, the, the printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but it did not create a single new page. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret this? How to interpret that? Um, AI can create new ideas, can even write a new Bible. We, you know, throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Every religion claims our book, all the other books of the other religions, they, humans wrote them. But our book, no, 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 no. It came from some superhuman intelligence. In a few years, there might be religions that are actually correct, that just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be a reality in a few years. Yuval is telling you the playbook. But why, you ask, would he tell us their diabolical game plan? One podcaster I heard said it was because these people hate God and want to be God, and because God does nothing without first telling his prophets, they tell the world so they can feel like God. Sometimes they tell the world directly, like Yuval, and sometimes they tell the world in stories, through media and movies. While that's a good interpretation, I don't think it's true. They surely want to be like God, but they don't have a death wish and are first-class cowards. They would not voluntarily shovel the truth in our faces before they have achieved absolute control over us unless they were compelled to. So they must be acting under compulsion. Just like God does nothing without first telling his servants the prophets, I believe he commands Satan to do the same thing with his servants the world. God is the ultimate sovereign, and Satan does not have the power to disobey a direct commandment from God. They are at war in a kind of violent contest, but there are rules, and one of the rules is that they both have to disclose their plans to their people before carrying them out. So probably, without knowing why, the servants of Satan advertise his plans to the world. That's why, if we listen, we can discern the plans and agendas of God's enemies. We may not be able to do anything to stop the plan, but at least we can know about it so that we can take some actions to try and save others from being deluded to their eternal regret. There is much more to say about AI, but it's sufficient for now to understand that it has a role to play in the rapidly approaching Great Delusion. A new religion is coming to accompany the new Antichrist, and my money is on AI being tapped to write the religious text. Whether AI will be sold as a superintelligence all on its own, or an interface between an alien superintelligence in another mysterious dimension and our own remains to be seen, but AI is not just a tool to enslave us. It is a tool to deprave us. So foreknowledge is power, and God needs to be our fortress against all deception.
AI is going to factor into the end times deceptions of making the Antichrist out to be God, but so are other technologies that have recently been deployed. If you want to know how 5G factors into the deception, and why it had to be rolled out so quickly and without any consideration of safety, you will have to stay tuned to future broadcasts. But before we get to 5G and all the things it's going to do for the Antichrist, first we have to revisit that bioweapon that is masquerading as a vaccine, because without that, the 5G deception will not work. So stay tuned, because like it or not, you are the final generation that is going to have to face the reality of these prophecies, whether you make it to the rapture or not. If you are a Christian, get ready. You are Christ's soldiers on this battlefield, and your marching orders were laid out millennia ago by your commander-in-chief. Satan's soldiers are hard at work, and Christ's soldiers need to be hard at work, too. If you found this podcast interesting, useful, or important, please recommend it to someone you know and punch that sign, symbol, or button to encourage others to listen. Underground Christian can be heard on several fine podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, iHeart, Player FM, Listen Notes, Pandora, Samsung Podcasts, Podchaser, and the Underground, um, excuse me, UndergroundChristian.net, not .com, .net. If you wish to contact me, please send an email to UndergroundChristian at Outlook.com. Oh, great God, who controls the earth and the sky and every dimension that surrounds us, no matter how many dimensions there may be, we plead with you to protect us from the machinations of the evil one and his vast army of supporters, not to mention the hordes of demons that prowl the earth looking for bodies to torment and occupy. The delusion is coming, and we pray protection from it with clarity of mind to use scripture to see what is happening around us and to discern our instructions in these troubled times. We pray that Christians in the world will awake from their slumber and see the sin that swirls around them, rejecting and ejecting it from their midst and cementing your will and your law into their hearts. We ask that you protect those who are true followers of Jesus Christ from the evil influences of artificial intelligence and that we not fall for the deceptions of space aliens and UFOs and floating orbs, but see them for what they are, part demonic false wonders and part technological tricks. Help us to focus on the return of Jesus Christ in his kingdom through his power for your glory forever and ever. Amen. And they all said, Amen. Amen.